Welcome to part four of the 60th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we continued the tale of the spiraling abuse and tyranny of the twisted cult leader, Roche Terriot. Again. <laughs> Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during this podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our social media pages. We drop a new episode every Friday morning, so be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. Don't miss out. Thanks for listening. And if you are even slightly entertained by our Southern charm, please leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. And if not, please reach out to us and let us know how we can improve. And also, please recommend our podcast to your friends and family. Share the love. Hi, Mercedes. Hi. How are you? Doing well. Uh, yeah. So I just want to thank you for doing this great um this great episode that's lasted four weeks i love it because <laughs> it really has given me a break and it's so interesting yeah. I've never heard of it before honestly oh yeah oh and just wait just okay. wait okay so yeah okay. it's gonna go by pretty quickly this evening okay but i'm gonna wrap it up but before we continue on with this twisted tale there's a couple things remember last week we said there was something we should address and we can't remember what it was yes okay and it was so important to us so important okay so i'm gonna let you handle the youtube message oh okay well i know i know you were very upset about the bad review that we got yes um me i'm not so much we put ourselves out there and so we're opening up ourselves to criticism and you know nasty comments and whatnot so that's that was i know that you take those things personally and me i i don't as much as you do and you check those things so um you know we're not gonna not everyone is gonna love us we are learning every week that we do this you know we here we are just two professional women who had a passion for true crime and a passion for our favorite podcasters and we're like hey you know what they're inspirational let's try this so we you know we are learning as we go and I think we've come a long way. I think we have too. And I would like to say that um, that was actually, it was on Apple. So we can't like an Apple review. So we can't respond to that. But I did copy and person, co- copy it or cut it, paste it, whatever into our Instagram account, mm-hmm. you know, with a little blurb saying, listen, we're not for everyone. Basically saying the same thing that you just said. And I will tell you that the podcast community is great because several other podcasters immediately started commenting about how um you know we're not all perfect we all have to start somewhere because this particular person was upset with the fact that I know that she was talking about me sounding like that I was in a tunnel or because my voice doesn't carry because we were first off we were doing it on an iPhone to begin with and then we were sharing a microphone (laughs) we were so dumb But, you know, I mean, we were doing it. Now we have two microphones and we're bold and we probably still sound a little bit like shit, but we're getting there. People, we are getting there. I know that we sound so much better. Then we got a great mess. Well, kind of a great message, right? From from the other person? Yes. Like from, from the episode that started it all. The oh, yes, we do have that message. Yes. But I think the reason why I was a little bit more miffed is I don't appreciate being called unintelligent. 
I don't pretend to be the smartest person on the planet, but I don't know who they are in a, like, they're not in a position to call us unintelligent because if you think that you can get on and, and say, oh, well, you suck. You sound like this. I'm a true crime fan. Well then grow a set of balls and start your own podcast since you're so fucking perfect. That's what I wanted to say. So you take it way too personally. I do. I'm sensitive. Do. Like and that. you know what? You can't get angry about it because you're going to have the good and the bad. And yep. that's just, you know, even your celebrity, even politi- anybody who puts yeah. themselves out right. in the public eye, it, it, you know, you have to, um, I don't know. I just don't, it's I just- don't, I don't ever take it personally because, you know, I, like I told you, I used to own a restaurant and people would get pissed off because maybe you know, we, their pizza f- fell off the plate or something as they were walking out of the restaurant and, and they're going to give us a one-star rating yeah. because, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. So, you know, you're going to have those people that are angry or upset or just not happy people in general and whatever. Well, I can tell you that I think that's telling to you when you're looking at reviews that, you know, you also have to look at that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just glad that our, like our day job, like our professions, like our real, you know, do not have a rating status that they've written. Oh, but it does. I mean, it does. It does. But I'm glad that we don't get, this is how you were rated today. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and we ask for ratings too. So again, of course, but we don't ask, we only ask for five star rating. No, if you, Oh, and I do appreciate Listen, if you don't give us a five-star rating, you don't have to rate it. No, it's no, okay. No, no, no. We we're okay with what we're rating. But you don't have Thank to you. insult us as if, you know. Right. Yeah. But you know what? I think our, our fan base is growing every week. And mm-hmm. if somebody chooses, you know, if they listen to one of the earlier episodes where we did not sound, you know, fantastic, or maybe on a night that we had maybe a little glass of wine or two. Um, you know, we, we, we <laughs> sound stupid, but who knows, whatever. Um, but you know, we just, you just have to get over that. It's, okay. I know, I know. Okay. I mean, I appreciate it. I put a thing out there saying, please don't give up on us. Yeah. You know, listen to us again, go, you know. Okay. A- well, I want to talk about the other, the other review. I wasn't really a review, but it was a comment. Actually, yes. it was the very first episode. It was Tiffany Saborn, the 13 year old. And I talked about how, um, you know, I worked in the town where it happened and it was very personal to me mm-hmm. and affected, you know, just almost the entire town. And we actually had a, a, a process, a, a girl, a woman who worked on, uh, was she, did she work for the DA, the prosecutor she had called yes. in mm-hmm. and we had mentioned her. Um, but then we also got another comment and do you mm-hmm. want to share that or yeah. tell a little bit about it? Well, I want to read his whole comment, but it's rather long. Yes. So let's, so this is what we should do. We should, everyone should hold tight at the end after we conclude this story and, and we can read what this gentleman left. Okay. So do we, we at least want to introduce the guy who the guy is. Okay. So the murderer was, uh, Shipman. Yes. Okay. Uh, and it was a guy that he knew from prison. So mm-hmm. he actually sent us a, I, it's almost like a letter. So we'll read it. It's just yeah. super long. So we're, I want to, um, let's go ahead and jump in the story. You want to? Yes, but I have a huge favor first. Oh gosh. Okay. Okay. I need you to listen to this blindly. Okay. Okay. I want to see your face. And I want to see, I'm going to hear your voice as I just the astonishment 
in quite frankly the most messed up story I've ever heard of. Okay. Okay. I'm going to take my glasses off. Okay. Okay. We left off with a letter from Solange. Remember, she was telling her master that she felt that his actions were the work of a higher and more powerful being. Okay. I'm still having difficulty understanding how these poor people are putting up with this man because Mm -hmm. it's only about to get worse. And I really don't know how I've never heard of this guy. Yeah. Ever. I, I just, some of the things you're saying. Yeah. All right. So are you ready? I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? We're ready. All right. In the fall of 1988, Solange had fell ill. So she wasn't feeling very well. Well, Terrio convinced her that there was something wrong with her liver because, you know, he knows everything and that she would have to have an operation in order to fix her ailment. So one afternoon after he got very drunk, he started strangling the women, asking them if they knew that their breath belonged to him. Oh my God. He's psycho. He's so psycho. Wait, I thought he stopped drinking. So he's drinking again. No, yeah. that's right. He was. Remember his pain started again. Okay. So that's, that's right. You know, that's and then he decided medicine. he was going to watch everybody work. Okay. Yeah. And he prescribed himself, you oh, know, yeah. a pack of beer a day. Yeah. Or every time he hurt, his prescription was a case of beer. All right. All right. So he started strangling the women, asking them, do you know that your breath belongs to me? Okay. First. Yeah. Okay. Then he decided to put on this jewelry. Uh I don't understand the whole jewelry thing. Yeah. It's like the royalty. I'm the king here. It's a God complex. Yes. Then he turned to Solange and said, Rachel, which was her biblical name. Rachel, are you ready? I hear like Jim Morrison is anyone out there. (laughs) So he said, Rachel, are you ready? I'm going to treat you tonight. Leading them to the bakery. He cleared off the table and Solange undressed herself to lay down. Yeah. So remember we called him Roche in the beginning. Now he's going by rock. So I'm just going to call him rock. Rock, Oh God. Bless rock. Roughly, roughly tried to insert an enema tube into Solange's rectum. The enema fluid was a mixture of molasses, oil, and water. (laughs) Sorry, but I'm clenching my butt cheeks. (laughs) I know. He spent a half an hour trying to get this done and encouraged her not to be embarrassed about losing control of her bodily functions. He started pressing and punching her stomach. When she put her hands off to fend him away, He simply told her to move her hands and she did. Then he inserted the tube down her throat. This guy. Okay. So first he stuck it up her ass and then he put it in her throat. Yeah. The same tube. Uh, Yeah. The same end. Yeah. I guess because then he told everyone else to blow on the other end, I guess, and to suck on the tube. (laughs) I mean, are you kidding? Why are you telling me this awful story? Oh, you just wait. Oh my God. Then he took a knife and made a five inch vertical incision into her right side below her ribs. He pulled out a strip of tissue about four inches long and a, and a quarter inch thick and tore it off, telling her there, you're going to be all right. <laughs> Then he saw, then he had everyone else sew her up. So he did his, his duty. So then they sewed her up 
And she got up and was like, carry on. So everyone went back to the cabin. Rock ordered a warm bath for her, filled it with cherry. I'm not sure what filling it with cherry is. I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be sherry. I don't know. But this made her feel worse. Then he gave her a cold bath. So she went back. She went to bed. Blood was starting to come out of her mouth at this oh point. God. So she died. So Lange is dead. The doctors would later say that she died um, from an inflammation caused by dis- digestive fluids leaking into the ad- abdominal ab- abdominal cavity. So I guess when he was trying to insert that tube, he like ripped her. Oh my God. So, but, and then, yeah. So it was just, it was just bad, bad together. So, so poor Solange did not live. At first, Rock was just distraught. He attempted killing himself in a number of ways. First, he tried to get Jacques to shoot him. Then he tried to overdose on extra strength Tylenol, which to me just thinks would make you really sick. Finally, he tried to drown himself. These, I mean, to me, he's not really trying that hard. Well, why the hell didn't Jacques (laughs) just shoot him? Right. He should have just shot him. And according to a letter that Terrigo wrote, oh, wrote to the spirit of the deceased, a strange force entered my arms and tore the bindings from me. I came out of the water yelling, God doesn't want me to die. So when he was trying to drown himself after Jacques, um, after sending Jacques to fetch Giselle from her parents' house, he made a call to Jess Grossback, Jess Grossback. And then he went to Utah. Who was Jess Grossback? Um, That's one of the doctors from the mental hospital that he hooked up with that was kind of like more, um, not lenient, but sympathetic of him. So go ahead. Have they called the police or anything or? Nope. Okay. Well, on October 16th, Terrio traveled to Utah. He told Grossback that Solange had died suddenly in the woods from a spontaneous erupted vein in her esophagus. So Dr. Grossback assured Terrio that there was nothing he could have done to save her. Um, but then Terrio informed Grossback that God had named Grossback as Terrio's guide. Okay. To me, that like should clue you in that he is not in his right mind. Mm-hmm. If I called up my therapist and said, I'm sorry, is that what it would have taken? <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, this is just like, I, I mean, mean, obviously these people think it is twisted. Yes. Yes. God. Wait, just wait. So Terrio explained that he had been having these strange dreams in which Solange was in, was inside his body. Okay. Dreams in which Solange takes shape from rocks spilt semen. Oh, here we go with a seed. Yep. Okay. Terrio uh, and Grossbeck convinced themselves that so- Grossbeck's on board with this, that Solange was to be the first reverse birth, a spiritual rebirth through the belly of a male to parallel the carnal rebirth through the womb of a female. Wow, dude, that's deep. Rock became convinced that he was pregnant with his deceased wife. Okay, that's interesting. This dude's batshit crazy. And and so 
Yep. Take those glasses off. Do not read ahead. I'm not reading ahead. Okay. I can't see my screen. Are you kidding? Okay. I can't, but I want to see you. Okay. Oh, thank you. So Terio convinced Alex Joseph, who is in Utah, one of the doctors in Utah that he was going back and forth to seeing, he convinced Alex Joseph, or maybe, maybe Gross Beck is the doctor in Utah, and Alex Joseph was just someone he met. I can't remember. I'm so sorry. Don't give us a one-star rating for that. So <laughs> Terrio convinced- out. No, I'm not. Terrio convinced Alex Joseph to perform a post-mortem marriage by proxy for himself and Solange to make it official what he had only recognized for himself, the marriage between Moses and Rachel. Joseph even threw in an um, ordaining Terrio, naming him as king over lot four, concession five. You're king of your double Y trailer. That's what that shit is, okay? He in return, okay, so then he returned to Ontario after a couple of days. He ordered Claude to dig up Solange's body. So they buried her. They buried her. So then he ordered Claude to dig her up, had Gabrielle open her box, Solange's body, and pour vinegar on her internal organs to keep the worms away. Then they buried her again. But a few days later, he had them dig this poor woman up again. At this point, her body was starting to decay. So Terrio had Jacques drill a hole in Solange's skull with a hand drill. So I'm going to stop right there because I need a break already. And we need to hear a word from our sponsors this week. Yes, we do. This week's episode is brought to you by Yarn. Have you ever wanted to snoop through someone's phone? You know, read their text messages and emails and look at their photos while they're not looking. You know, not even feel guilty about it. Want to enter a world of suspense for just a few minutes at a time? Then you need to check out the Yarn app. The Yarn app features some of the best hit series out there. You have to check this out for yourself, seriously. The Yarn app features some of the hottest series that millions, yeah, you heard that right, millions have already binged, like Mystery Dog, Modern Dating, and Haunted Camper. One of my favorites is their latest podcast, Strange Street, where you follow the main character, Cece, into a mysterious alternate universe. It had me guessing the whole time. If you love true crime podcasts, this is the app for you. Tap through the most addictive and immersive stories today, only on Yarn. Trust me, with over 27 million downloads, Yarn is a must play. Download Yarn for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's Y-A-R-N. Download it today to watch, read, and listen to all your favorite fiction stories. From steamy to horror, yarn has it all. Okay, so so he's drilling with a hand drill. Now I'm trying to picture a hand drill. Is that like the thing that you cranked? Like you turned it? Wait, yeah, that can I be. Mean, I, I yeah. My grandmother used to have one of those a long time ago. Oh my God. Yeah. What so, was the point of that? Oh, oh, you ready? You're going to tell us. You are going to vomit. So then he masturbated into the hole. Oh, a penis hole. Spilling his seed onto Solange's rotting brain, convinced (laughs) that he would be able to resuscitate her. (laughs) So he literally skull fucked her. He literally skull fucked her. Yes. Okay. I'm so sorry that I am finding a joke with that, but that was horrific and I have got to laugh. Yeah, we have. I mean, yeah, it's just sick. I mean, what is the other option? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, he didn't skull fucker like um, Edmund, like Ed Kemper skull fucked his mom. Like he ripped her head off and literally fucked her head. This is just he <laughs> jacked off and spilt her his okay. feed into the there hole in her head. You're right. You're There's, right. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I had to get the visual in my brain. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Sorry. So Giselle told Terrio that Solange's wishes were for her to be cremated. So he agreed to have the group burn her body. For the cremation, before the cremation, excuse me, he had Gabrielle move, remove one of Solange's ribs. I guess he wanted his rib back. I don't know. Which he kept in a leather wrap wrapping so that he could carry it around with him. After the cremation, everyone took some of her bones to keep as keepsakes, you know, because that's the logical thing to do. She's Rachel. Yeah. She's Rock a- collected some of the fragments, put them in a jar with olive oil as a to preserve them he would regularly masturbate into the jar in his sanctuary in his bedroom in an attempt to bring solange back to life through the rebirth oh this i'm i'm not even understanding any of the logic to me at all it just seems so sci-fi if i didn't do the research on this i would think that this was a made-up story but there's like this is not a made-up story there has to be, there's a, there is a movie. There ha, I, more Is like there or no? There's like a documentary type movie, okay. but there's got to be, I mean, like, this is crazy. So Terrio would then make another visit to Utah. This time he would bring his baby that he had with Francine to Joseph, to, to the Alex Joseph and say, um, and give them, give him like, say here take care of my baby so child services doesn't take him he's kind of a man yes he is but during the visit joseph and terrio got into an argument apparently over the way terrio treated his wives well joseph stood up to rock and successfully did so and this actually made an impression on the wives because they were like holy shit someone stood up to him and lived to tell another tale another day and Joseph so, was a doctor, the Grossbeck guy, right? No, this is the the Alex Joseph okay. guy. He so he's leaving the kid with him. He stood up, stood up to him, is like, "You treat your wife's like shit." So this, the wives were like, "Oh, well, he's not so all powerful." However, the only motivated Rock to be even more of a batshit crazy man in order to keep control of his family. So this wasn't en- entirely successful, though. Josie left Rock for good in the winter of 88, 89, somewhere within that year. However, Rock did succeed in concealing the birth of two more children, as well as hiding all knowledge of Solange's death from her family and the police. So July of 1989, Rock became drunk again. And clearly this was not unusual. And Giselle, Claude, Francine, um, and some others always were able to sneak off into the bush to hide from him. Gabrielle, however, did not. Terrio remembered that Gabrielle had like a stiff pinky finger, you know, the one that he hadn't cut off yet uh-huh. with wire cutters. Oh yeah. He told her to put her hand on the table, the kitchen table. And instead of looking at the finger, however, he stabbed her hand with a hunting knife, pinning her to the table. Blood began to pour out of her hand, but Rock just went to get get another beer. Gabrielle forced herself to remain awake and conscious. After 45 minutes, Rock came back 
to see that her whole arm had turned blue. He says, it's not looking good, is it? So then he fetches himself a carpet knife and begins to whittle her arm away halfway between the elbow and the shoulder. He whittled, whittled it all the way to the bone. Too drunk to finish, he called Chantel over, Chantel, to finish the job. She cleared away a narrow band of exposed bone that went all the way around Gabrielle's arm. What is Gabrielle? A, I mean, she's just letting him do it? Yeah, I don't understand why she can't use her other hand and like pull out the knife. So then Rock finally dislodges the hunting knife which was pinning Gabrielle's arm to the That's table. Why. That's why she wasn't moving. <laughs> okay. He took her oh, over. Hold on. He took, he took her over to a stump that was sticking out of the kitchen floor, like a, I guess like a tree stump. Mm-hmm. And um, taking a dull meat cleaver, Terrio swung at the exposed arm. His first swing missed. His second swing amputated her arm completely off. Oh my God. These poor people. Gabrielle hadn't cried out the whole time. She took it in stride. The next day she went to a women's shelter only to return to the compound on prompting from Jacques. A couple of days later, Terrio decided that Gabrielle's stump was um, gangrenous used a pair of scissors to cut away the infection. Oh my God, I'm going to vomit. He also cut a chunk from her breast, then whacked her on the head with the side of an ax. With Yeah, with the side of the axe. She fled into the bush where she came to her senses two days later. So she was like out of it, woke up, only to realize that insects had laid eggs in her head wound. She returned to the cabin to find Terrio still drunk, Jacques used that, um, is it acetylene? Acetylene. Acetylene. Whatever. Torch to cut a piece off the drive shaft of one of the old junky cars they had in the yard. Rock heated the metal until it was red hot, pressed it against Gabrielle's stump. He was so drunk that he kept dropping it onto her body before he finished. Oh my God. She finally escaped. I mean, I really hope that she's going somewhere to get help now. I know. <laughs> Not just to turn around and come back. Well, she went to the hospital. I know that there's a psychology about people that are caught in these webs. And I know that I should have some empathy for them. But I mean, Jesus, why are you still there? Exactly. I well, mean, I, I, I know that I'm, you know, there's a reason behind it and blah, blah, blah. But I just, I, I'm not... I just don't get it. I can't understand. Well, she concocted some crazy story about her missing arm. And the hospital was like. Because she's not going to tell the truth. No. I mean, that's like abuse, um, like spousal abuse or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, the police were called anyway. And the, the constable filed a charge of aggravated assault against Rock Terrio because everybody knew who they were. They were like, oh, what has he done today to these people? Yeah, but I mean, he's been arrested and talked. He's convincing to other people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I guess that's just narcissistic or whatever, you know, narcissist personality or. Well, the police went to go arrest him on August 19th to find that there was no one there. The compound was deserted. Terrio, Jacques, Chantel and Nicole along with the, with the two youngest babies had fled to Quebec. Now, I don't know if 
if that's like, um, if they can, you know, I mean, you can't just go, I mean, like we can't just go to Alabama and arrest people. You have to talk to the authorities and there's all this like tape and all this stuff. So the other people eventually went home to their families because they were like, okay, the spell is broken. We need to go home except for these few here. Right. Well, it took the police about six weeks to track him down, but they did. And on October 6, 1989, Giselle finally decided to sell, tell someone about Solange's death. Well, Sean, um, Giselle didn't know, but as she's telling somebody, you know, telling the story of Solange's death, Rock was being arrested on that same day. Oh. And just kind of fast forward, everyone pleaded guilty to all the charges that they were being charged with related to Gabrielle's amputation. Rock um, was sentenced 12 years, later reduced to 10 years because Rock's genuine remorse and concern for the victim. Wow. Um, that's Rock. Jacques got five years. Chantel got two years. Nicole got 18 months. Police also charged Rock with first degree murder, but the court found that there was insufficient evidence to prove that there was any premeditated murder on the behalf of Solange. Terrio was, um, he went to, so he went to trial for second degree murder, but his lawyers made a deal that he would plead guilty if he, if no other charges were brought against him. So on January 18th, 1993, Rock Terrio was sentenced to life in prison. He was eligible for parole in 1999. How do you get life that you're eligible for, for parole seven years later? I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. So Francine, Chantel, and Nicole remained loyal to him the others have tried to adapt to a new life without him his many children somewhere over 20 are distributed among foster homes across the continent including the 12 year old boy at the time of this writing the 12 year old boy who lived with that alex um, joseph in utah the one he just left him with so on july um in july of 2002 he was denied parole they were like, yeah, no, Moses is not getting the fuck out of jail. Well, that's and, in 2002. Where is he now? Hold on. I'm going to tell you. Okay. Um, he was like strictly calling himself Moses at this point. And, and he was um, told to go under a series of psychiatric evaluations. You think? So Terrio yeah. continued his spell over his few followers. He had conjugal visits with three remaining wives having allowed him to father even more children while in prison. Wow. So on January 26th, I mean, February 26, 2011, a 63-year-old Terrio was found dead near his cell in Dorchester Penitentiary. Why can't I say that word? At the pen. At yeah. the pen. His death is believed to be, is believed to be a result in an altercation with his cellmate, so this Matthew McDonald, who was a six-year-old convicted murderer um, from Newfoundland, who was who he was charged with the murder because he admitted to it. He pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. He was already serving a life in prison, uh, sir, you know, for another mur- murder charge. He's like, fuck it. He has nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. So McDonald stabbed Terrio in the neck with a shiv. I love this man. Walked to the guard station handed him the weapon, proclaimed that piece of shit is down on the range. Here's the knife. I sliced him up. 
Yeah, because he's probably God. Yep. Wow. So there you have it. Oh. I do believe by far this is the most fucked up story I have ever encountered. It is. It is bizarre. I mean, you know, like the Michael Ryan case was disgusting to me, the one in rural Nebraska. But I mean, this guy had some serious like penis issues. And yeah. Wow. Wow. Like too bad if this happened so long ago that they well i mean he died in 2011 i wonder if they someone tried to preserve his brain that they could like donate that bitch to research and like research i bet he i don't think i would want to pass on that one on me <laughs> honest yeah that was um that was definitely a messed up story so thank you for um enlightening me and making me a little bit more uh sick to my stomach yeah sorry about that sorry i mean i know it was a long drawn out but i really believe that you had to have all of the information oh nothing i could leave out absolutely yep so anyway um thank you for sharing and the one that i'm doing next next week um i By the way, before I go further, I did look Mm -hmm. it up and there is a, another podcast that did this story that might Mm -hmm. be series, Um, dark histories or something is what it's called. I am going to listen to it. It's on my, my wish list. Oh yeah, Um, definitely. The one that I'm doing next week is possibly a two, possibly three parter. So that's coming. So you get a a two week break. But um, yeah, so let's read the letter that we got from um, just Jason Shipman's uh, for friend from prison. And just to remind you, Jason Shipman was um, the man who chopped, well, butchered off the head of 13-year-old Tiffany Saborin mm-hmm. and um, dumped her body, well, he dumped her head in a porta potty and then... Her partially new body was found. So, yeah. Anyway, this guy uh, who was his roommate, do you want to read it or do you want me to? It doesn't matter. You can read okay. it. All right. So, this is what we got. And this guy is Darth Mendez. And um, we really appreciate you contacting us, giving us a, uh, you know, a different, I guess, viewpoint of the criminal, the murderer. So, here we go. So, Darth Mendez says, I worked with Shipman for nearly a year in the canteen at South Central Correctional Center in Licking, Missouri. He was a fairly upbeat guy, jokester, and a fan of metal music. I used to call him Shippy with the same voice that the guy would chime in on Mortal Kombat and say, Toasty, and I don't know how that's said, do you? Working in the canteen is a very fast-paced job as well as a trustworthy position. If a single person steals, everyone goes to the hole. One day as I was working, I noticed there was an empty summer sausage wrapper in the back of the canteen by the potato chips, an area not not often frequented by the store officers. Anyways, having a wrapper just laying around is pretty much a free case straight to lockup. I had a couple of friends that worked there also, and I asked them if they did it, and they all said no. So I decided the easiest way to figure out who did it was to wait until after lunch. Why, you might ask? Because the particular summer dogs that they're sold in the canteen gave a person terrible gas, and whoever stole it ate a whole dog. Came back after lunch, and who had the worst case of gas ever? That's right, Shippy. I went to him when no one else was around and asked him if he did it. He denied it. Then I explained how unhappy I'd be if I went to the hole for something I hadn't done, especially if it was for a lousy summer sausage. He admitted it, disposed of the wrapper, and it never happened again. 
but confronting him actually made us much better friends. After all, we worked together five days a week and stayed in the same wing of the same housing unit. One day, apparently, he caught wind of part of a conversation I was having with my Sully, and it offended him. I had no idea he was upset with me, and he didn't speak to me for a week. I used to walk by a cell and joke with him often, so I knew something was wrong when he was super standoffish. I asked him, and when he told me, you could see he was visibly upset. I wouldn't say that he looked like he was going to cry, but you could, but you could use that what he was about to say, he had been had been bothering him for some time. What he thought he had heard me say was that people who had LWAPs life without the possibility of parole had no redeeming qualities and should never get out. But in fact, what I was saying to my cellmate, Jason only caught a fraction of what was actually said. I understood many of the crimes people commit who received one, two, let alone three, four, or even five lives without parole are horrifying. I get that. But when you live with some of these guys who have been locked up for decades, three, some four do do have the capacity to change some it might not take that long others never get it do i think they should be let out maybe some of them and then maybe some not so much i can tell you this jason had a terrible case he did but my but jason was my friend and a good one too the parole board for short timers as well as lifers never gets to see how people really change i never would have thought jason did what he did until someone told me and then it was still kind of hard to believe but then there are a few who surprised me. Other people, I'm like, yeah, he did that. Knew it was something like that. The South Side rapist never would have known. Ran track with him for a couple of years till he got stabbed a few feet from me by, and they interstate compacted him. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Never would have known. Ran track with him for a couple of years till he got stabbed a few feet from me by, and they interstate compacted him. I don't know what that means. Old James Schnick schooled me on the ins and outs when I first got down. Never would have thought he slaughtered his whole family. Ooh, James Schnick. We need to write that name down. Never would have thought he slaughtered his whole family. Harold Bobby Lingle was my first real celly. Imagine my surprise when I realized the guy I moved into my cell to read the Bible to had killed a lady and her three kids, one in her stomach. Still, all of these men are human. Many have good qualities. Should they get out? I'm not the parole board. We all have opinions and God has a will. He really can do anything. He changed me. God bless. Enjoyed your research. Keep plugging away. Oh yeah. Shippy did tell me this and I'm respect his silence because it causes problems when the TV plays their crimes and they talk to media about what they did. But Jason did admit he wasn't a good guy, but he also told me, he told me he to a bunch of acid. Oh, he took a bunch of acid before he committed his crime. Is that an excuse? No, but I felt like as my friend having no say so in his date, he wanted me to know because it was important for him to know that I didn't see him that way anymore. And it was an honor to look him in the eyes and tell him I didn't see that person in him at all. So, I mean, it's definitely uh, an interesting take on it. And sure, I think people can grow out of their, you know, they can grow up and change, mm-hmm. but I mean, the crime was so horrific. I so you pay the consequences and, and hopefully you have been redeemed. Yeah. And I'm glad that you have such a great friend as, as Darth Mendez, because he seems like an awesome guy. I wanted to reply to him, because, but I don't really know what we should say to him. So we should talk about that after. Yeah, definitely. Right. And I did uh, look up the James. If he's, if he's out of prison or not, but you know, that's really none of our business. I appreciate his, his personal view on it and um 
yeah it doesn't change how i feel about shipman at all or what he did know. to that poor little girl but anyway well that's, i mean that's definitely um it's definitely interesting to hear you know these perspectives from other people coming in yeah i mean it's just like my friend who was murdered and thomas mcgill the, the guy who murdered him is in jail and has been an ex- exemplary prisoner and guard said good things about him and his prison mates have said good things about him. I mean, that's fine and dandy. And I'm glad that you can, you know, find some sort of normal day-to-day life, I guess. Now that you're, you know, he's been in jail, he's going to be in jail for 50 years if he doesn't get out before then. Um, But that doesn't negate how, um, how I feel about him and because of what he did to my friend and the brutality and the, heinousness of the crime it is it's really bad okay well that's interesting so next week episode 61 i'm not on the even numbers anymore but finally (laughs) finally 61 (laughs) uh so anyway thanks so much cindy and thank you all for listening to this week's murder we appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support if you'd like to support us even further please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. And for more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. And also, if you want to read the letter from um, Darth Mendez, I think Cindy's going to try to put that on our website. Yes. We are so grateful to spend our time together to share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for your, for your support. Please recommend it wasn't me to your true crime loving friends and family. And also thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember it wasn't, wasn't me. me. <laughs>